ESPN broadcast, I don't think you would have known the difference. Definitely when you guys not. say camcorder that this guy's videotaping on, are we talking like the one that Shaq was using, like in the in the '99 dunk contest? No, no, though, like smaller, more compact camcorder, something maybe you'd get like around like 2008. Okay, uh, something was, you would take on a vacation to like. Yeah, we're not super old school, but definitely should not be the sole camera <laughs> for any sporting event. Um, I, I can't imagine what was like that, what that was like for our viewers. But honestly, if that's the worst issue that you guys had, I'm sure I'm sure it was a pretty good show. Yeah, it, hey, it was. And, and speaking of club sports, we've got one of the stars of Florida State's club baseball team on the panel tonight, Anthony Fernandez. Anthony, it's been a while since you were on the show, so so welcome back. And I know you've got your finger on the pulse of, of Florida State sports and this campus as much as anyone. And uh, you know, how have you been enjoying basketball season? Baseball season's back. I know you've been busy, so you don't, you might not be able to watch as much as you'd like, but how have you been, buddy? Yeah, I've been pretty well. I mean, uh, on top of FSU baseball season, um, the Florida State Club baseball season is underway. Just want to give a shout-out to the club baseball president on President's Day, David Atkins. <laughs> hit a home run yesterday against UCF. Not going to count for a month or two because the game did get rained out. We're going to have uh. to reschedule it later on. But he, I know he's enjoying it in the moment. And, uh, but, yeah, we're, we're pushing a, a lot of sports going, coming on underway. And, uh, yeah, it's an exciting time is, is here for State. Is there a win total out yet for the FSU club baseball team? I think, they, well, you guys lost your first game this weekend, right? Um, no. We, so we played our first games of the season were last week against Georgia Tech. We, we did sweep that series. Um, and then this weekend against UCF, it was our first conference game. So this is your first loss this weekend um, against UCF. Well, yeah, we won. We won our first game um, on Saturday. Lost the second game Saturday, and we were in the middle of the third game on Sunday. Um, and it's postponed to a later date. We haven't decided it yet, but it has to be made up because it's a conference game. Well, I, I'll have to uh, touch base with you again uh, once that game gets made uh, up. Uh, touch base. Ah, uh, good one. Um, oh. But we got a lot of stuff to talk about tonight. Florida State sports, um, they're firing off on all on all four cylinders. You know, we've got football, spring football's right around the corner. Men's basketball, we've talked about them every show. We're getting closer to March. We're getting closer to the big dance. Florida State basketball, a lock for that tournament, um, which they haven't been at this point in the year for a lot of years. This year, they find themselves in third place in the mix for the ACC regular season title with uh, Louisville. They dropped games to Georgia Tech, and they dropped ga- a, a game to Clemson in the Little John. Now, Florida State's still got a big hurdle to jump after they lost last Monday night. We were uh, on air for the first half of that game, but they l- ended up losing 70-65 to the Duke Blue Devils. Uh, a, a highly entertaining game, a game with a lot of questionable decisions from the officials. A game, though, that I was just happy to be upset about. And what I mean by that is that, you know, coming into Florida State, uh, when, when I was a freshman, they were like one of the national title favorites. They had the opening game against Alabama, and basketball was kind of always going to be on the back burner. At least that's what I thought freshman year. And watching how this team has developed year after year with Coach Hamilton, with the guys they've been able to bring in on the recruiting trail, and then for them to go into this game against Duke, and everyone thinks they have a shot if they win this game, they were probably the favorites moving forward to go on and win the ACC regular season title. That meant a lot to me, and so the fact that after that game was over, I felt it in my gut that it was that that feeling you get after a terrible, terrible loss that you felt was undeserved, and uh, that the, the fact that I felt that made me feel good. Maybe not that night, but the next morning when I had a chance to reflect. Yeah, Gary, th- this this game against Duke, you know, a lot of people say that Florida State may have outplayed the Blue Devils. You could say that to some degree, but that first, the first half of the first, qu- uh, first half, first half of the first half, 
Florida State did not look good at all by any stretch no. of the imagination. They were the worst team in this game. They were able to come back, though, in the second half. They fought hard. Defense stepped up. But it's just some calls here and there at the end of the game, some missed shots. That's what really killed them. There were definitely some big calls, and that definitely played a huge part in the outcome of the game. But if Florida State makes a little bit more of their free throws, a little mm-hmm. bit more of their threes, they shot only uh, 37 or 16.7% from three and only 60% from the charity stripe, and that is not what this team has done throughout the season. They are one of the better free-throw shooting teams in the country, so to see them go 12 for 20 from the free-throw line, that was that was pretty disheartening, and, and it kind of kind of took them out of the game. And it was a five-point game, a lot of questionable calls late, but, I mean, Alex, is there anything this team could have done differently? I mean, you kind of hit on it before with the bad calls, but kind of like what you said before, the bad calls weren't, really to me the biggest takeaway they went three for 18 from three that's almost historically bad had they just merely been bad they would have won but they were historically bad they just make two more threes and they win the game which is weird that they were in that position because they're not they're not a virginia type team they're in the top four in the acc in in three-point percentage yeah they are um anthony what was your like immediate takeaway from this game because again i had to like take a step back the, the broadcast ended on my tv i was upset i took a step back i reflected on the next morning and i thought you know florida state did a lot of things wrong in this game i didn't focus on the things they did right which they did a lot of that too i didn't focus on the referees i didn't focus on the decisions even though there were some very clear bad ones what what were your what were some of your immediate takeaways well everybody says it's not how you start it's how you finish but in my opinion, the way you start the, uh, the way you start a big game like this is going to have an impact on the end. And I think true. FSU having a slow start to this game definitely impacted how the uh, how the game finished. Um, I mean, they they just, in my opinion, they looked they looked kind of like they looked kind of nervous. They looked kind of scared in the beginning. And I don't know if it was the big uh, the big arena, but I mean, going to, and then going down the stretch, they're they're a seventy seven percent free throw shooting team. It, that's Two, that's three or four more free throws uh, for them that they should have made, and that that changes the whole aspect of the game. So, just a slow start definitely stood out to me when I was watching this game. And then down the stretch, making free throws, and and like Alex said, making three pointers down the stretch, that that definitely stood out to me as well. Yeah, now they find themselves a game behind Duke in the ACC standings. They've got to clear them. They've got to completely pass them. They can't be tied because Duke would have that tiebreaker. Florida State and Duke only play once this season. I don't know, Gary, I don't know if there's enough games left in the schedule for Florida State to be able to overcome that, that full game deficit. Yeah, exactly. There's no, And there's not really even a lot of spots where you can see, look and see where Duke could lose. They play UNC one more time on March Which was 7th, close the first time they played. But this one's going to be in Cameron Indoor, yeah. so that's going to be a whole different beast. I don't expect UNC to hang around for too long. Then they also play uh, Virginia, who could give them a shock. Virginia well, yeah. plays t- tough defense. They will they'll play up to their competition. We know that for a fact. NC State probably won't do too much. Wake and VT and then NC State once more. Yeah, I could see and I, I would probably predict Duke to lose one of these games. I don't see him losing two. 
I think UVA is the only one that they can really lose. Maybe add NC State could give them give, give them a even, run. Yeah, I think I they can give them a think. challenge definitely then, on the road. Yeah, and then North like, Carolina, you know, to end the season, I think that's probably the next best chance solely because that's a rivalry game. Virginia Tech is a little bit sneaky every now and then. They can get get a couple teams here and there. So I don't know. It's it. I'm saying one loss, maybe, well, maybe then, one. E- loss. Even if Duke drops to Florida State, would have to then win out in their ACC schedule. Mm-hmm. They've got Pitt tomorrow night. We're going to talk a little bit about that game. Then they go uh, to NC State. Then they host Louisville. Then they go to Clemson. And Clemson's beaten North Carolina, Duke, and Louisville all in this season. Again, all with the caveat that North Carolina is not the team that we usually expect them to be. At Notre Dame, which was a tricky place a couple years ago for Florida State, they went and got uh, walloped (laughs) in South Mm -hmm. Bend against the uh, Fighting Irish. And then they host Boston College to end the season. Florida State, you know, if, if Duke does slip up twice, it would be extremely hard for Florida State to continue to uh, you know win at the rate that they are and, and, and win out in this uh, with this schedule. But moving on to uh, Saturday's game, another exciting game, another really close game in the ACC. If, if if nothing else creates exciting basketball, close games. Leonard Hamilton, at least twice a month in one of his press conferences, says that uh, all AC or seventy percent of ACC games are decided by four points or less. This one was one of those games. Florida State 80, Syracuse 77. Florida State gets back to their winning ways. For a while, it looked like it was going to be a lot more of a comfortable victory. Syracuse slowly came back into the game, like many teams have been able to do against Florida State. Florida State keeps them at bay, though, gets the three-point victory. Gary, (laughs) how nervous were you in the second half? Pretty nervous. Well, going into the second half, I wasn't at all. I saw the score, not not really anything to worry about, and then... With not having Devin Vassell, because he was out for that game, he was suspended by the team, I believe. We don't know yeah. the exact reason why, though. He, It really makes his presence known that when he's not there, they struggle at certain points and times in games. And this is a time where you need him to come up clutch with big shots, big plays, X, Y, and Z, and he just wasn't there. Devin, Devin Vassell, absent from the game, um, I was starting to hear, and I and I put out on Twitter that I had heard that he had, had broken team rules, and that's why he wasn't featured. I tweeted that out at halftime. That's why he wasn't featured in the first half. No word on whether or not he would play in the second half because he was dressed. Um, so sometimes that happens when it's just a one-half suspension. Did not play at all in the second half, and it did almost cost Florida State. And Leonard Hamilton refused to comment on the um, the absence of Devin Vassell. I mean, he wasn't absent. He was there, but just the fact that he did not play. And from what I've been hearing, I think a lot of Florida State fans uh, might be upset with the reasoning as, as to why he didn't play. And we can't really go into it, but I, I'm for I'm all for accountability. I'm all for you know holding your players to a higher standard, especially a part of championship programs. But I mean, what are your guys' thoughts? Should should the better players on teams that are competing for for trophies, big time trophies, should there be a a double standard for certain players? No, I, I respect what Leonard Hamilton did. Because, first of all, you come into the game and you expect it to be a game that you should win without Devin Vassell. And they did. And even if you don't, uh, I mean, how much does it really hurt FSU to just lose to Syracuse? As terrible as that sounds, if it teaches someone... It hurts someone, a lot to me. I mean, It hurts a lot, but in terms of making the tournament, in terms of seeding, how much do you really go down? I think a lot. You lose a home game to Syracuse. They haven't lost at home all season. But what kind of precedent does this set going forward? You can't just say to the guy, hey, go do whatever you want. Depends. As long as, well, you're good, as long as you're a good player, you can do whatever you want. And then, like, 
And then when other players see that around the team, they're like, "What the heck? Why does he get special treatment? And I have to, I have to be back by whenever." Again, it's well. Again, we can't really go into because we haven't had no confirmation. No, I'm to saying what happened, but I'm just saying, like, let's say it was a curfew issue. Like, yeah, if it were, a, a curfew I'm saying, issue for yeah. So if it was, then why some players are gonna be like that guy's getting special treatment? It causes like it causes people to get angry I, at each I, other in the locker room. I, like, I get that, but I also think you could create a situation where a Ford State had lost that game. And yeah, some players might be upset at Devin Vassell for doing whatever he did to. A chemistry. It's all about team but, chemistry but going also, down the line. You might also point. have players that are upset at Coach Hamilton. Like really, Coach. Like we like we could. That was our guy. That's our guy. We could have used him in that game. That well, that's his fault if he messed up I, and he broke I, a team I rule. Understand he's, that. But that's knows a, the rules. That's something you have to do as a head coach. Like you, like Brett said, like you can't hold a double standard for anyone. I um, think you. I think you can in some situations. Again, we don't know all the details from this one. We exactly, but I'm just saying, if whatever team rule is broken, the player gen- players generally know team rules before they're broken. They choose to break those rules, therefore they should understand to live with the consequences. And that was the consequence, was and a one-game suspension. He would do it, he would do it well, for we don't know. We, we don't know Alleged, it's a one-game right suspension. As of right now, we no, it's a, think it's a one-game suspension. And, I mean, the thing about Leonard Hamilton is he would do it for anyone else on the team. Like, it, it, I mean, it doesn't matter who it is. If um, like he's very, he's very by the book, so if someone goes... Against team rules, I mean, I don't blame him. And he, does, and he doesn't have to explain to anyone why, like, what team rules were broken or why he decided to sit the person. So, I mean, I think he's handled the situation perfectly. Exactly. Well, yep, Florida State won, so I guess it doesn't matter all that much. And I try not that to helps. get... I try <laughs> not to get... Really yeah, helps. exactly. If Florida State <laughs> had lost, we'd be having a much different conversation. But I try not to get frustrated in close wins like that. Um, even in an off year, games like this show you how difficult the ACC can be, how tough it can be. Um, any anyone can beat anyone at any time. We've seen that uh, forever, really. And this was this game was just another example of that. Um, Syracuse coming close. Florida State ultimately pulling it out. Um, now Florida State hosts Pitt tomorrow. Uh, they opened the season with a game at Pitt where they lost the, one of their three ACC losses, and now they get a second crack at them. I was really upset at the scheduling of that game. I know the ACC went from 18 to 20 games. Um, when with the rollout of the ACC network, it was part of the TV deal. They wanted more games to broadcast on the network, and with the extended schedule, they had to play games. Um, they had to mix in ACC games, and what would usually be the non-conference part of the schedule. And part of that was almost every ACC team played their first game of the season against a conference opponent, which means half of those games or half of those teams had to play that game on the road. And it's not an excuse. Obviously, you play your games when you play your games. you got to try to win every game. But it was really tough for Florida State to go on the road to play Pittsburgh um, to open up the season. They ended up losing the game because of that. Obviously, turned around and had a massive win streak uh, after that beat Florida and then went on to win all but one of their other non-conference games. But now they get a second chance. And, Gary, do you give Pitt any chance in this game to win? Revenge game. Florida State should, should come out there and dominate the whole time but who knows Pitt I mean they've been a bit shaky lately they sh- they really came down to earth after that win against Florida State early on in the year I believe they lost that next game they lost the game after Florida State I think they lost to Nichols State uh. so they really came down to earth Pitt isn't going to be the better team but if Devin Vassell isn't there who knows yeah Pitt has not been um, really in their winning ways lately they've lost how many five of their last seven games mm-hmm. Um, they picked up wins over Miami, a terrible Miami team, and a pretty poor Georgia Tech team. But they've lost. They lost by 10 to Va Tech. They lost by 14 
or no, they lost by 20 to Clemson. Um, hasn't been um, smooth sailing for, for the Pitt Panthers, and now they're going into one of the toughest places to play for visiting teams in the country. I give them no chance to win this game. Again, it could end up being close, like the Syracuse game was. But, I mean, there's no way Pitt can come in and win this, this basketball game. No, and I think that, in a way, games like the Syracuse game can kind of help in the way of being able to wake your team up. I think that it's kind of like, remember earlier uh, back in the fall semester, when Clemson came, when Florida State went to Clemson the week after Clemson almost lost to UNC, and we all said, wow, Clemson's going to come out more focused than they have been all season because they almost lost to UNC. So you know Dabo Swinney is going to be in practice all week hammering home that we almost lost to UNC. I think Ham will um, kind of do that with Florida State this week where you almost lost to Syracuse at home. You are down with less than two minutes to go. So you can't just come in at home and expect to win just by going out into the court. Yeah, I mean, it's again, if, if Devin Vassell plays, Florida State should have zero problem winning this one. If he doesn't, which, again, we don't know. We have no details on whether or not he'll be back for this game. I could see it getting into some sticky situations like the Syracuse game did late on. Ultimately, though, I think Florida State will have no issue. They'll win. I don't know what the line is for the game, but they should have no issue winning this one and moving on. And, but, again, the ACC pro- proven to be you know have a ton of tough games. Florida State's only going to be on a couple days rest. They, you know, they didn't have to travel. They're still at home. But I guess I guess we'll have to see, and we'll tell you guys what happened next week on Tomahawk Talk. Uh, now moving over to the Diamond, Florida State Baseball opening weekend. They hosted the Niagara Purple Eagles, and we all saw it on the schedule. Usually one or two of these uh, series every season, and you hope to go out to the ballpark, see Florida State win all three games, hit a ton of home runs, score a bunch of runs. Their pitchers uh, rack up high strikeouts, which they did. Florida State pitchers did rack up a lot of strikeouts in this series. But you don't expect to see Florida State dropping one of these games in the opening series against a team like Niagara, and that's exactly what they did on Friday night. The Purple Eagles took Game One, three to one over Florida State, and we're gonna talk. We're gonna break it down. We're gonna talk about what happened. I know it's just one game. I know that's how the game of baseball works. Anyone can beat anyone on any day. But are you kidding me? One run on opening night. That that's a scary sign. That's a scary sign for this team moving forward. We knew offense was going to be the issue for this Florida State baseball team. They've lost some big hitters for this team. They, it's not the same team as we view, we're used to seeing. This is going to be a team that's going to be reliant more on their pitching. And with the way that Martin has expected this team to be going, it th- that game made sense to me, honestly. And that's why, because the bats weren't working, that's why they had to take necessary precautions and bunt a few times. I know you were very angry on as to why they bunt because you I, don't. I wasn't angry. It seemed yeah. like you were angry, but I, I, I've been. I'm, I'm very clear that I think that there is almost zero times where uh, it is advantageous, advantageous to sacrifice bunt. Well, Florida State did score no, on a bunt <laughs> again. This is a one-game sample size. Uh-huh. We're not going to look too much no, into exactly. it. Exactly. Um, but the pitching was there. C.J. Van Eyck. C.J. Van Eyck looked great. The slider that he worked on over the summer with uh, Bellinger looked great. He he said he used it about 25% of the time in that game. That's according to him. And it really did have some solid movement. He was able to freeze a lot of guys, get, catch, some, uh, catch some hitters off balance, and it did do enough. But I wanted to go back to the hitting first because Mike Martin Jr., he said it on Thursday before the game, and then he said it, reiterated again after the game, he hates opening day. He does not like kind of the energy that comes I wonder over. why. 
he, it comes around with it because the players are too like jittery almost. They're too excitable. And he was saying every single time they're out in front of fastballs trying to catch everything out in front. They're all too swing happy, you could say. And that's why he really kind of had to sell them down with some bunts, and it made a bit more sense after he said all that. And there's also some sense of confidence that, that goes into the players on opening day when they're playing a team like Niagara mm-hmm. on paper. I mean, they're, they, might not, they might not think they're playing the best team, but, hey, man, like, like Brett said, anything can happen in baseball. And 14 strikeouts for, for FSU hitters, I know our offense is going like, to be a struggle this season, but you can't, can't strike out 14 times well, against a team like Niagara. Surprise, surprise, Elijah Cabell struck out four times. Yeah, he, I mean, Was anyone really – I'm not surprised with that one. To say this struggled, he only struck out once. But, you know, going back to the pitching, Van Eyck looked incredible. We've been saying all offseason he's going to be the guy this year. Antonio Velez, a guy that had pitched very well in last year's postseason. He went two innings, two perfect innings, struck out five. And a lot of the other pitchers did well. The one guy that Chase really struggled. Chase Haney looked good. Chase Haney looked good, too. Really mm-hmm. good. Returners. Really good. The one guy that struggled, though, freshman Bryce Hubbard, that me announced on, on uh, Thursday, mm-hmm. the day before the game, um, when he spoke to the media that Bryce Hubbard was going to be the closer to start the season. Not a great outing for him to start the year well yeah it i think that really was a lot of the like the opening day jitters that kind of nervousness that comes with your first real college start because he did play in some of the fall games and during those games martin was saying a lot that he was filling up the strike zone he was able to throw strikes and he could throw two or three pitches for strikes and he just could not locate the fastball for his life it seemed like on friday night yeah, and they ended up having to go to Scalaro and then Tyler Ahern and then uh, Davis Hare, who pitched a little bit later on in the series, just to get out of that inning. That was really unraveling. They gave up three runs in that ninth inning. Exactly. That was, it was just a mess, but Hubbard was able to settle down in, on the Sunday game. He had two strikeouts in his one inning of work, so that's a bright spot there for him, at least. But, yeah, that ninth inning was just a mess. They, The walks, that's when... You could see, like, from the press box, you could kind of tell once they started those walks and once they just could not find the strike zone and Niagara just let the bat sit there on their shoulder, it was over. Yeah, and I was going to say, that it's not like Niagara was, was raking. They, I mean, they had four hits in the whole game. So walks um, they definitely have an impact on the game. They were just playing smart baseball, something that Mike Martin uh, Levin preached every single time. Yeah. Walk, Try and get walks, get runners on, get runners over, and so forth. Yeah, and then for the, you know obviously the rest of the weekend for Florida State, um, back to business as usual. Twenty-four to four, eleven to one. Um, some some really big victories. Some more really good pitching performances. The one on Sunday morning that Alex and I were on hand to to witness uh, was Connor Grady. Connor Grady, the Sunday starter, went five innings, seven strikeouts, only two hits, no walks. Uh, Alex, what what did you see out of Grady in in that outing? Grady just had his command, and he just went out there. And was able to. It looked like all of his pitches were working, basically, which is very not rare, but it's it's hard to do in your first outing of the season. He just looked like any pitch he wanted to throw, he was going to be able to throw. Didn't allow any walks, only allowed two hits, and went the full five innings that uh, Coach Martin wanted him to go. Yeah, he really performed, and if he keeps it up, I know Drohan struggled a little bit with his command on in Saturday's game. I don't think Drohan's in any position where he's about to lose his Saturday spot, but Grady. You know, if he keeps pitching at this level, and again, it was only Niagara, uh, he could work himself into you know maybe getting a Saturday spot or filling in another big, uh, big high-level situations for Florida State. The bats still weren't great; they got walked a lot on Sunday. There, you know, there were no home runs this weekend, um, but overall, there was um, one. 
Oh, think, Cooper Swanson hit one, didn't he? I think no. Oh, Carter, Carter Smith. Smith. Carter Smith hit one. Carter Smith and Cooper Swanson. I always, I always <laughs> mix them up. Um, Florida, uh, Florida State's got USF coming to town tomorrow night. I'll be there at that one. I think Gary, I think you'll be there be as, as well. well. Should be a good one. An in-state, uh, r- not rival, but an in-state opponent. Florida State really struggled with uh, their in-state opponents last year. And it kind of shows how strong the state of Florida is. You've got all these different teams that are talented, even though they might not be in as a talented of a conference. USF, though, going to be a pretty formidable opponent. Oh, yeah. USF, UCF, FAU. Even you can go down to the D2 Stetson. level and still find good yeah. teams. T- University of Tampa is generally one of the best D2 ball teams exactly. in the nation every single year. But, yeah, Stetson's always has a good That's Stetson no-hit Florida State last year. Yeah. So. Shout out Austin Dilbert, former high school teammate, <laughs> bro. <laughs> and the, uh, the, the Tuesday games are a little interesting because uh, – you're not getting the best starters. Florida State's going to start Jack Anderson. Uh, he's a freshman, I believe. Um, and Meat said that he probably won't go a full five or six innings. He'll probably throw two, maybe three. See how many times they get him through the order, how many pitches he throws. He actually used the word opener, which kind of uh, made me blush a little bit. Like, well, it kind of uh, makes sense that he's using Jack Anderson for the opener. Kids from Tampa. Exactly. Exactly. Went to Jesuit down there. He's a exactly. sophomore, actually. He is a sophomore. I knew that. Right, of course. Yeah. Um, but... <laughs> We are about halfway through the show uh, here. We're going to talk Florida State softball right after the break. You are listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. We'll have Howie Berg with the Seminole segment after this short break. Howie Berg here with the seminal segment for Tomahawk Talk. In men's basketball news, FSU edged Syracuse 70-67 in the Civic Center this past Saturday, extending their home winning streak to a whopping 20 games. MJ Walker injured his lip resulting in 12 stitches, which caused him to miss 20 minutes of game time. Walker ended up scoring 7 of his 16 points after returning from the injury, including a crucial 4-point play with 2.36 left in the game. 
After the game, Leonard Hamilton talked about MJ Walker saying, for him to come back out and represent his team in that fashion with no fear, with a lot of confidence and aggressiveness, says a lot about his will and toughness. If the Knolls intend to make a deep run in the tournament, they'll need a lot more of MJ Walker moving forward. The Knolls look to make it two in a row as they take on Pitt at home on Tuesday night. In women's basketball news, number 14 Florida State lost in a close contest to Duke at Cameron Indoor 66-64 this past Sunday, snapping the Seminoles' three-game win streak. The Duke Blue Devils were led by Haley Gorecki, who had 21 points and, and sealed the deal with two free throws. After the game, head coach Sue Samaru said, We didn't rebound the ball very well, and I thought that was the biggest thing that hurt us. With this loss, FSU loses control of third place in the ACC and are now tied with the Duke Blue Devils. The Seminoles will look to bounce back this Thursday at home versus Wake Forest. That's it for the Seminoles segment. I'm Howie Berg. Thank you for listening, and now back to Brett and the rest of the Tomahawk Talk crew. Yeah, real quick, thank you for that, Howie, by the way. I did not get to mention MJ Walker and the performance he had in that game Saturday against Syracuse. Went out of the game with an eye injury, was not expecting him to return, Sounds like he went back, got 12 stitches, came back into the game, and was at 16 points, 5 for 11 from the field. Really good performance from MJ Walker. So I do want to give him some love. We are going to talk a little bit more Florida State baseball before we talk a bit, a bit about Florida State softball, who competed in the St. Pete Clearwater Invitational Tournament this past weekend. Uh, Alex, I think you had an opening day fun fact or opening day stat for us for, from Florida State baseball. Yeah, so uh, Florida State has had nine head coaches in their program history. Before Mike Martin Jr. lost his debut, only one other coach has ever lost his debut. Let me guess who it was. I'm just kidding. All right. Um, It was actually Mike Martin Sr. So. Well, if that means anything. If that means anything. We got 40 more years. 40 more years. 39, I guess. If we're counting this as one year. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) A lot lot of time and a lot of success from Mike Martin Jr. Hopefully on the horizon for him and for Florida State baseball. Another questionable decision, or uh, I wouldn't call it controversial, but Questionable to say the least. Uh, Meat started his son um, and hit him leadoff for two of the three games in the series. One of them, he was a designated hitter. Sounded like he was dealing a little bit of uh, dealing with a little bit of dead arm. And then on uh, the series finale, he played a little bit of third base. Uh, Anthony, what were what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, just kind of bouncing off the Martin staff from Alex. Um, Tyler Martin and Jackson Green were the only FSU players with a hit in every game this weekend. Um, two new guys. Uh, Jackson Green coming from a um, a junior college uh, this season, um, but Tyler Martin, uh, I believe he graduated. He left high school early to to join the FSU baseball team, and there are some some questions around uh, Mike Martin Jr. starting him uh, as a leadoff hitter. Eighteen um, year old kid should be a senior in high school. There are going to be some questions, but I mean, in my opinion, he he did his job at the leadoff spot. He was one of uh, one of the three hits that FSU had on opening day. Uh, it was a bun sing- single, but I mean, if that Heck if that's yeah, the <laughs> if, if that's the method that FSU was going with to to get some runs on the board, he did his job. He scored the only run of the game in that game, and uh, he had a pinch hit game in game two, uh, pinch hit in game two, um, and he also had a hit in game three. So I mean, if he's contributing at the leadoff spot, um, the controversy might might shut down a little bit. I'm fine with the way uh, Meat is dealing with having his son lead off and play I guess a more a bigger role right now in the press conference after the game he blew off because was it I can't remember who asked the question but somebody asked about if it was special or anything to have uh, his son be the first run of uh, his career as a head coach he quickly shook it off and was like no didn't really matter I mean like it's nice but yeah 
Yeah, early on, uh, well, we we were you know speaking with with me on Thursday before the series started, and he he did say that Tyler was going to lead off and be the designated hitter for opening night. Um, a couple of us that were that were in that little scrum um, tweeted it out, and there were early on questions of nepotism, which I thought were. Un- unwarranted. I mean, yeah, completely he even, unwarranted. He even said on that Thursday interview, he said that it, he told all of his coaches if he ever started showing signs of favoritism or anything, they he said to hit me pretty much. So, I mean, like, it's. <laughs> yeah. I think that's fair. I mean, if, if you were out here saying that there was there was nepotism or favoritism involved, I mean, you just, you just don't really know what's going on with this program. Um, Tyler Martin had a pretty good weekend at the plate, really, you know, one of the better weekends for all, you know, for all the Florida State um, starters. And uh, you know, if he went over, I probably would have started questioning for nepotism. Yeah, well, but now no, the he's question is if he went over and then like over again next weekend and then like continue to hit. Yeah, lead then, up, then the question, the question starts to arise. But like, mm-hmm. this is college baseball. Like, this isn't little league. Like, there are like, he's not the, right. Like, he's, we can he's say he's eighteen not. years old and he he should be in high school right now. So there are the like. If if he did go over, I mean, it comes with the nerves of playing yeah. I mean, I get it. No, but like time. he's saying, if he went over this weekend, ate over the next, right. and like kept going over, and right. then that's, just kept that's getting, a different story. But I'm yeah. saying yeah. If it, this weekend, like if he he, if he proved himself in practice and yeah. he, and he was good enough to be in the leadoff spot, like and you, you know how hard it would be to sh- like to play like the nepotist card like in college, like there's yeah, a lot of money on the line. Tough. Here. Yeah, exactly. Like, this is not some. This is not little league like, or travel ball. It's an actual job. Yeah, exactly. So he's not gonna you know. That was his first, the first name he writes in on the lineup card. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not going to, you know, pull the favoritism card. It, I thought that was silly. But, it, I mean, it was a very small, small group of people that were, were saying stuff like that. And, and overall, Florida State wins the series. They host USF on Tuesday. They host Cincinnati next week. And I do want to talk a little bit about Florida State softball. Played at the uh, St. Pete Clearwater Elite Invitational. Really big event. Probably second to the Women's College World Series for the biggest softball event on the calendar. They get some of the best teams from across the country, literally across the country, not just the Southeast. Washington's there. UCLA was there. Minnesota was there. Obviously, Florida State, Alabama, um, USF, Oklahoma State. So many great teams. Liberty. Um, Liberty's not you know, <laughs> not in the upper echelon of college softball, but you get what I'm saying. A lot of teams come to this event. It's on ESPN. Florida State last night played in primetime on ESPN2 against UCLA in a, in a heartbreaker that they ended up dropping 3-2. Um, to two. But one and four record for for Lonnie Alameda's uh, squad after an amazing undefeated start here in Tallahassee at the Joanne Graff Classic. Gary, is this was, was the fact that they went one and four? Is that does that worry you? Does that concern you in terms of where this team is going forward? No, I'm not that worried. This is it's a tough series right off the bat, coming off of a series where they kind of coasted through. They coasted through the first weekend. They didn't really meet too much resistance other than that for the first of the two Alabama games. And it was, I don't know, it was a tough series. I mean, it's just like what I alluded to, the same thing with the FSU soccer team and their trip out west early on in the season where they played USC and UCLA, and they lost both of those, and we weren't worried then. Why should we be worried about this team now? Yeah, now they get, uh, they get 10 days off before they host UCF. Um, then they're going to another event, uh, the Woo Pig Classic, uh, where they'll take on, I'm guessing Sweet. that's in Fayetteville. Um, they'll take on Baylor, Kent State, Arkansas, and Villanova. So another big event for Florida State where they're going to get a chance to uh, pick up some some big out-of-conference wins. And ultimately, not, Lonnie Alameda has been saying this as much as you possibly can. This is a young team. And mm-hmm. I think she thinks that, one, they overperformed in that first weekend against North Carolina, Alabama, Detroit Mercy. But I also think that she believes that 
that Alabama team was a little overrated, that North Carolina team was a little overrated, and that Florida State played good softball, but that wasn't as you know those those wins weren't as monumental as I think it, they might have looked like at uh, looked looked like from the outside when you look at where Alabama was ranked, when you look at the type of talent that Florida State has, and the fact they were able to pull off those wins. What I think it is, it's probably a humbling experience for that Florida State softball team. They've got a lot of big games left on the schedule. Softball, you play so many games throughout the course of the season. They'll have plenty of opportunities to bounce back. Ultimately, though, bit of a disappointment to go one and four. If you go three and you know, if you go two and five or two and three or three and two, no, you know, no harm, no foul. One and four does sting a little bit. And I think it will probably for um, a little bit longer for Florida State. Now we talked a lot about Florida State sports. We've had a lot of Florida State sports over the last few weeks. We want to transition a little bit to a new league that uh, is two weeks into their uh, first ever season, or their their first ever season, their second first ever season, given that they were already a league about 20 years ago. That is the XFL. Uh, Okay, I'll I'll be honest. I haven't watched much. I've watched bits and pieces of some of the games. I've tuned into a little bit of the the Tampa Bay Vipers game. I don't (laughs) don't call myself a fan, although there are people that are fully attached to their new teams. (laughs) Uh, like you, Gary, I oh, see I'm you wearing your, your St. Louis Battlehawks hat. I don't even want to know how much you paid for that hat, but, but how don't much? Ask. <laughs> how much of the league have you watched so far? I've watched. I mean, I've watched all the both the Battlehawks games. They lost last night to the uh, Houston Roughnecks. Tight game. It was. It's fine. Uh, don't ask me about it. <laughs> <laughs> but either way, uh, the rest of the league, I've enjoyed watching it. DC has been a lot of fun to watch. Cardell Jones out there. I like their uniforms. Yeah, they do have. They're clean. DC has some clean uniforms. And there's some bad uniforms in this league. Oh, some yeah. bad logos. A lot of bad branding. But DC, the ba- I think they've done it right. Battlehawks have one of the best logos. Too. I think I like the Battlehawk yeah. color scheme too. That blue it's and silver. Very nice. But it's nice. It's been a lot of fun to watch. I mean, granted, I know you got to know this coming, and you can't be expecting NFL play you can't be expecting the upper echelon of the best of the best football players in this league because that's just not what it is it's going to be the more mediocre players but it's just going to be fun football to watch and why like if you just, why tell me because why. There, there's some little rule changes too like okay. and even just from a like a fan perspective of just watching these games i've enjoyed watching the broadcast like grant i know like the play has been up to snuff but one thing i have enjoyed was the replays and the, the replays yeah. and the uh the officiating and how transparent that. it has been it's been amazing to see how the refs, like, you hear every conversation they have with each other on a replay review, like on a, uh, a challenged play, even though there are no challenges. Everything goes to replay review if, regardless. So one thing, I, that's one thing I have enjoyed. Another thing, the double forward pass. We only yeah. got, we've only had one so far. It was in the D.C. game against New York. And it's it adds another little caveat for play or for play callers to just open things up and it open it can make you can make a whole other playbook out of this. Yeah, exactly. And it, and I have enjoyed the the presentation, the broadcast, the stuff that um, ESPN and ABC have done, the stuff that Fox has done. I think they've done a good job making it interesting, making it intriguing for fans because they know the football is not going to be elite. But Alex, Anthony, have you guys tuned into to the league at all this this so far this season? Um, just like you, I find it kind of hard to actually get myself to a TV to watch. I've been following along with the New York Guardians, whose quarterback, Matt McGloin, the other day went off Uh-oh. during the broadcast. So I'm very disappointed in my quarterback. And I'm torn right now between my quarterback and my coach, who I both love because I've been a lifelong Guardians fan for two <laughs> weeks. Um, but other than that, it is interesting. And like kind of what you said, the broadcasts themselves make up for a lot of the play. I mean, the announcers are great. The sideline reporters are great. I think there was one sideline interview where one of the players got in on the seat reclining debate 
on airplanes. So that was I interesting. I did see that interview. That mm. was interesting. One other thing with that is, oh shoot, where was I going with this? Here, keep going. I'll come back to you in a minute. What were you going to talk about? Your opinion on seat reclining? No, 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 no. It was about the. Um, it's no the mic. So everyone's mic'd up. The coaches and the players are all mic'd up. And one thing that I've really liked with that tied into the broadcast is that when you have the former players who are the color commentators, they'll explain to you some of like the play calls. Like I lo- I was watching the Battlehawks game last night, and they were explaining like certain little things, like certain phrases in play calls that meant every little thing. And like I thought that's really interesting, and it really helps someone who doesn't know like every little in and out of football like I do. Right, that way when like real football comes back, we'll know what's going on. Exactly, I'm going to be a genius because I've been watching the XFL. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I mean, I haven't watched any XFL games personally. I was I was going to talk about the Matt McGloin drama. Um, I just think it's kind of funny that he was kind of blaming the whole scheme of their offense. Um, and uh, head coach uh, Gilbride was just like, all right, well, he needs to play better. Well, he was shocked by the comments, and he's like, oh, well, he, he just needs to play better. And the next quarter when he comes back, throws a pick six. And he got that got him benched, and I, I just thought it was funny the whole like the whole interaction between that. You I, don't you don't see it a lot. You don't see a player blame his coach. And uh, the reporter Diana Rossini she told she said that to Coach Gilbride, and yeah, it was. Well, I just thought it was funny. We don't see it a lot because we don't know because yeah. the NFL can withhold certain information on like mic'd up games and all that. Like we've seen like the Sam Darnold thing that got out there, the seeing ghosts, but that might be happening a lot more often than we actually think. Yeah, for sure, and in. I think the XFL has done it right. Um, there's, they're very self-aware. They know the competition. They know that they're not competing against football right now, but they're competing against college basketball. They're going to have to compete with uh, the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs, and start a baseball season. They're very self-aware. They know what they are. They know they have to be a little bit gimmicky, but not too much where it feels ingenuine. Um, I, I think I like some of the rule changes. The, the kickoff, eh, I don't the know. The kickoffs I, I like. It, it it's helps. Different. It, it's yeah, player safety. It's, it's, yeah. it's very I'd anti the original than, XFL. I'd almost <laughs> rather them just eliminate the kickoffs altogether then and just like, let's start from the 25 or the 20 and One thing I, go play. I don't think we've seen it yet. The onside kick, I can't remember what they said their onside kick rule is going to be, but I was expecting the Battlehawks to do it last night. I was, I'm still questioning why we didn't do it, but yeah, well, yeah. and yeah, I, I said we. Take, <laughs> I can't take you seriously, like, like calling the saying we, we when you're talking about we the Battlehawks. Onside kick. My it. my hometown team, the Tampa Bay Vipers, uh, they they were one of the preseason favorites to win it all. Uh, well, you know, there a lot of bookmakers looked at their roster and said this team's going to win a lot of games. They've scored how many points? Six points, seven points. It's like, been bad. The season. <laughs> they can't figure out who their quarterback is. Aaron Murray was the quarterback after week one. A lot of people calling for Quentin Flowers. Uh, they don't even pick him to start week two. They go with Taylor Cornelius. Anyways, it's a mess. I, I, I don't call myself a fan. If I watch them throughout the season and I develop that relationship, we'll, we'll talk about it again later. But ultimately, can't call myself a fan. I saw and the writing they, on the wall for the Vipers, and that's why I wasn't going to choose the Florida team. Yeah. I wanted to go with a team that's had their what hearts was the, out. What was the writing on the wall? Was it Mark Tressman? Yeah, it was Mark Tressman. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was Mark Tressman. Yeah, 100%. And Aaron Murray. No, but the Vipers yeah. the Vipers do have former Seminole Jacquez Patrick on the team. And Smarts so. McFadden. And yeah, and if that yeah. makes it that that makes it a little bit easier. To there are for some them. Florida State players throughout the league, so if you're a Florida State fan and you're looking for your football fix, you know, look up the rosters, see where. Because I know there are some players spread throughout the league, and I know there are even some more that are in the CFL, which mm. I do. Oh, love I CFL love the CFL as in well. The summer, <laughs> um, so yeah, former head coach is coaching uh, the Dallas Renegades. Yeah, oh, yes, Florida, Florida, State's Florida State head coach Bob Stoops. <laughs> Florida yeah, State right. legend Bob Stoops. How are the running games doing? Are they, so they oh, the Battlehawks beat the Battlehawks beat them week one in oh, their hometown. Big win. Yeah, big win that's for the right. Battlehawks. All right, let's move on from the XFL. 
less of a fun topic to talk about because honestly, I'm tired about hearing. I'm I'm tired of hearing about it. It's the Houston Astros. Um, my first show or my second show as host, I think that was when everything kind the of suspensions broke. The suspensions and came down and the internet started to melt. And uh, I just right now I just want baseball games to start. We spring training started. So everyone's close. reported to camp. And even though I know that this conversation is going to continue throughout the season, probably throughout many seasons, there's a lot. Uh, it's a lot easier for me to block it out when there's baseball on my TV uh, every single night. When there's race baseball on my TV every single night. So I kind of just wish it would go away. Um, but again, a lot they're in the news again because Carlos Correa is out here trying to defend. A lot more players are being vocal about the punishments or the lack thereof handed out to the organization and the players. Um, Carlos Correa is trying to defend his team, his teammates, his World Series title that they won back in 2017. But he needs to just shut up. You he, he should take his own advice and this, shut up. <laughs> this is not going to get any better. I don't know. Like, There's only so much... like. PR you can do to, you know... He's digging himself a hole at this point with the way he came out so... With that Ken Rosenthal interview with MLB Network, he came out so aggressive at everyone. Like, I get it. There's a lot of pent-up aggression that's going to be taken out during the season, whether you like it or not. Players are going to get thrown at, but it's going... Like, He's just got to learn, like, let the PR team actually take care of this. This is why we have PR teams at certain organizations and companies. It, yeah, and I, and I know, Gary, talk to me a little bit about what Rob Manfred said in his interview or press conference, because I know a lot of people are upset about it. I haven't had a chance to watch the whole thing. One way um, Rob Manfred defended his lack of punishment, in my opinion, was that he said they're going to have to li- the punish their main punishment for the players is that they're going to have to live with this throughout the rest of their life. They're going to have to know that they they did this, but we're not going to punish them for what they did. They, we're going to let the fans and the media kind of punish them in a way like he's pretty much saying like we can be cyber bullies now for the Houston Astros. Which well, I agree with the premise, but I don't think that needs to be said. No, <laughs> like w- yeah, we all understand that they're going to have to live with that. Like Pete Rose is going to have to live with the fact that he knows he cheated or not cheated. He bet on baseball and he broke a rule, but yeah. he yeah. why like make a punishment for the players. Take away the World Series. There's a legitimate argument to be made to take away the title. Cuz he but he did say, "Why would I take away the title? It's just a piece of metal." It's not just a piece of metal, yeah, Rob. I think Come there's on. just bad wording there, and that comes He's, from a lot of the Florida State communication. I mean, Trevor Bauer, not I go Florida back State, Major League Baseball with Reds pitcher Trevor Bauer. I go back and forth with him a lot in my head. Like I hate him, I love him, I hate him, I love him. But he made a really good point when he said Rob Manfred just doesn't get baseball, and it really is evident now because he said those words a few weeks ago, and I was like, okay, maybe you're being too harsh on the guy. But he said, but when Manfred came out this weekend and was talking all that he's talking, I was, I was through the, I was just so angry. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's again, it's just annoying, and uh, do want to move on because it, it's it's just a mess, and it's kind of ruined my off season, which is already bad enough without uh, without baseball. But I like to enjoy all the other stuff, all mm-hmm. the, the the roster building and the acquisitions and and the, and the Hall of Fame stuff. Well, you know that's pretty unbearable too. But the Astros has kind of just left a huge black mark on on the sport, and, and it's terrible to see. This is one of the biggest baseball issues, one of the biggest sporting issues, you could say, in a long time. Like I don't know, Anthony and Alex, like do you do you agree on that, or what are your thoughts? I, I think it is the biggest, honestly. And going back to the punishment, I mean, you can let the players deal with the shame of of cheating. To like, you could put a eighty game suspension or a hundred sixty two game suspension to go along with that. I, I disagree with the punishment idea. 
So I was kind of going back and forth on whether I think this is the biggest scandal or the steroid scandal. But the steroid scandal, you had a lot of guys saying, you know, this goes on in a lot of clubhouses. We need to clean it up because a lot of people do do it. A lot more people than you think. No one said this about this scandal. Everyone's saying no. We do get a few like the red, like there's the Red Sox are right. accused, and maybe like the Yankees. Who knows? Like it could be any of these teams at this point. But still, like we know it's the Astros right now. Exactly. And other than those two teams that you mentioned, plus the Astros, no one else is saying yeah it happens in almost every clubhouse. Though, like no, it's just those three teams pretty much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and I, I do want to move on um, because, again, I, I, I do kind of hate talking about it. But we had to. We had to at least mention it. Something that was a little more fun but also still controversial. NBA All-Star Weekend was this weekend. Uh, Team LeBron beat Team Giannis in a crazy ending to the All-Star, an entertaining end to the All-Star game. And we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But I do want to talk about uh, all the events from Saturday night. So we had the skills competition, the three-point contest, and the slam dunk contest. So... Slam dunk contest is the main event of, of really NBA's All-Star Weekend, even more so than the game in a lot of ways. Um, it is probably the most exciting. I think it's probably the most exciting out of all the All-Star events in any sport in this country. Um, it's not the best. The Home Run Derby is the best. And the reason for that is, is because, I don't know, I can't, I can watch, but I can't respect like a competition that is so subjective and so based on like the judges' scores, and I know that's really the only way you can you can evaluate someone's dunk is by grading it, and there is some level of subjectivity to that. But in terms of making it a better competition, I just prefer the home run derby because a home run is pretty black and white. Yeah, it's pretty simple to put it that way. I, yeah, it, there's a little bit of controversy. Like I know three out of four of us here, we're all Heat fans. So, so yeah, well, let's talk about a little bit. We're what in happened. a we're in a good spot right now, but yeah, for you, Magic and everyone else i can see where you're coming from let's talk about what happened so four uh, contestants in the dunk contest you had pat Connaughton from the bucks dwight howard from the lakers aaron gordon from the magic and Derek jones jr from the miami heat um gordon who was already who had already been a slam dunk contest finalist before when he lost to zach levine goes to the finals where he'll face off against Derek jones jr they each had two more dunks in the final round mm-hmm. they both got 50s on each of those dunks and then they had to go to what they call a, like a dunk-off, uh, where on their next dunk they both got 50s, and then they had to go to a second dunk-off, where this is where things got a little interesting. So um, Derek Jones Jr. attempts to dunk from the free-throw line with a, with a windmill or a, a half. Was, was it a windmill? It was, yeah, it was a windmill. He tried to get it. Yeah, he was like a stepper, step and a half step in from the free-throw line. But trying, he still had the windmill, which was he impressive. He still had the windmill, which Crazy is impressive. the fact that he can jump from around the free-throw line to the – to the hoop with ease is with, just yeah, crazy. Exactly. Like he, I think if he didn't try and do the windmill and if he just tried to go for the Michael Jordan free throw line, I really do believe Derek Jones Jr. can get it done. And yeah, and he probably could have with multiple tries. And if he had done that with his first dunk of the night, probably would have got a fifty. Could have. We don't know. That's the thing. But you probably would have given him what other, what else got fifties in the opening round. I guess. Yeah. And he got a forty-eight. So uh, Candace Parker and Chadwick Boseman, two of the judges on the five-judge panel, gave him a forty-eight or gave him a nine out of ten, which brought his overall score from the five judges from a fifty down to a forty-eight. Aaron Gordon, if he had matched it, it sounded like they were going to end it as a tie, and both were going to be uh, the slam dunk champions. If he had eclipsed it, he would have won. And obviously, if he fell short, Derek Jones Jr. would have won. He attempted to dunk over the tallest player in the NBA, Taco Fall, who is I think in the NBA listed a seven-five. In college, I think he was listed at 7'6". Anyways, tallest player in the NBA. 
didn't fully clear him. We can be honest about that. And Taco had his head bent down, like he was, he was holding his, the ball he up, so his, his head was at an angle. He had his, he pretty much had his chin in, in his, on his chest. So, just takes a few inches off. And Aaron Gordon still got up there, still got still over him and dunked him. the ball. Still clipped him, still clipped yeah, him with he, his leg. He got over him. He didn't clear him, but he got mm-hmm. over him. Dunks the ball. The crowd was, it was probably one of the biggest reactions of the night. Probably more so because of the novelty of it being Taco, of Taco Fall. Taco Fall, and everyone loves the, Taco the, Fall. Everyone loves, yeah, exactly. You hear the Taco chants um, in Boston at Celtics games. Um, Giannis Antetokounmpo was in shock at uh, Aaron Gordon's dunk. Everyone was going crazy. It seemed, it sounded like, given with the reaction, that he was probably going to get a fifty. Yeah, or at least only one nine. Or yeah, or because in my opinion, you can't give a perfect score. To an imperfect dunk. I, and I know that. But uh, Bozeman and Parker still gave him a nine, just like they had given to uh, Jones mm-hmm. Jr. Fair. Then uh, Dwayne Wade, um, legendary Miami Heat player, set to get his number retired near, a Chicago native, a judge on the panel, also gives him a nine, bringing his score lower than Derrick Jones Jr. Aaron Gordon loses the dunk contest. Was he robbed? I know I'm probably outnumbered here, but let's go quickly around the panel because I do want to talk a little bit about the All-Star game itself. No. <laughs> Next. <laughs> no, nice I, he, was, he wasn't robbed. It was, if you can't jump over Taco Fall completely, then don't try to jump over Taco If you can't yeah. dunk from the free throw line, then don't try to jump from the free throw line. That's there, fair. Jr. That's fair. There, this is true. This is true. Sure. I mean, I don't think he was robbed. Um... You, I mean, you can't give him a fifty for jumping over Taco Fall, like like he's like we've all said. If he doesn't completely jump over him, I I know he's the tallest player in the NBA, but he doesn't clear him. And it's one of those in the heat of the moment dunks that, yeah, it's Taco Fall, and he he kind of jumped over him. So like uh, like in the heat of the moment, it was every, crazy. It was still it was, right, it's still it's, incredible. No, it's it's incredible. I mean, it's like a, none, nobody nobody talking about the dunk can do it. But I mean, just. I don't know. I don't think he was robbed. Gary, real quick. Make it short. No, no he wasn't okay. robbed. Dude, what are you, you asking listen, a bunch of Heat fans if listen, the, I'm not, being, I'm not, being biased. I'm not here to say he should have won it outright. I'm here to say that if they, that Derek Jones Jr. and Aaron Gordon both deserved to win the if slam dunk. If they tied, contest. I would have been like, that okay, was, I can that see That was this. Aaron Gordon's first dunk of the night that wasn't a 50. Mm-hmm. Am I right? He had more total dunk so. points than Derek Jones Jr. Derek Jones Jr. It's right? the way, yeah. I mean, but you could I say, know the format. You could say Vladimir Guerrero Jr. should have won the home run derby, but the way that it was all but the way it was all formatted screwed him over. <laughs> I yeah? think yes. Aaron Gordon <laughs> has put on two incredible shows for the NBA for the slam dunk contest. Hasn't won either of them, and I think that's that's probably going to leave a sour taste in his mouth. He said he won't do it again. I don't think he will. Maybe he comes back. That's and not does a it. that's not a winner's mentality. Listen, that's okay. not a winner's mentality. He's just going to give up and quit. We're moving on. That that's not that doesn't follow the Heat culture. Exactly that. Yes. We've got less than a minute. <laughs> Real quick, All-Star Game, the uh, Elam ending, where basically you set a target score instead of a, uh, a, a clock, a game clock. Uh, it made for some a lot of exciting basketball, probably one of the most exciting All-Star Games we've seen or conclusion to an All-Star Game that we've ever seen. Um, uh, Gary, what were your thoughts? Ten seconds or less. The fourth quarter was so fun. It was fun, and that's all we can really ask for. I'd like to see that maybe tried out in not like an actual NBA setting, but I know they've talked about like midseason tournaments or like a postseason lottery tournament. Maybe you mix it in there, try to make something exciting, but don't take away the game clock and anything that's uh, that's actually important. That's all we've got, though, for tonight. A lot of stuff we talked about on tonight's show, so if you missed a second of it, you can listen back to it as a podcast. Big thank you to our producer, as always, Sebastian Angeliano. We had Austin Reynolds at twi- on Twitter. Howie Berg making a seminal segment debut. Uh, joining the panel tonight, we had uh, Anthony Fernandez, Alex Krutchik, 
For Gary Putnick, I'm Brett Rutherford, and this was Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. New release is up next.